Well, it's so good to be with you this morning, Bellevue. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll be looking at verse one this morning and also glancing at the rest of the chapter, Hebrews 11, verse one. And the title of my message to you this morning is being a faithful Christian. Emphasis on full, okay? Being a faithful Christian. I believe that as Christians, we're supposed to be faithful, but I believe, as we'll see in Hebrews today and in the rest of Scripture, that we're also called to be full of faith. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. So when you found Hebrews 11, verse 1, uh, please follow along with me in your copy of God's Word or on the screens as we read our verse for the morning. The author of Hebrews writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says this about faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning in faith, asking that you would increase our faith and asking that you would teach us, Lord, how we can be full of faith from your word today. So God, would you bless us right now as we study the scriptures? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear everything your spirit is saying to the church today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in his book, The Soul Winner, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in England, said this, quote, you may depend upon it that souls are not saved by a minister who doubts. Let me give you another quote. In one of his presidential addresses, he was the president of a pastor's college that he founded, he said something similar. He said, quote, it is proven by all observation that success in the Lord's service is very generally in proportion to faith. Charles Spurgeon believed that the level of one's success in ministry, whether you're full-time in ministry or every Christian who's called to be a minister of the gospel in some capacity, he believed that the level of one's fruitfulness in ministry was at least in large part due to the level of one's faith in God. Let me give you a story that maybe you've heard from Charles Spurgeon that illustrates this. He, like I mentioned, was the president of a pastor's college that he founded uh, to develop the next generation of ministers and pastors. And one day, one of his pastor's college students came to him just distraught. And he said to, to Charles Spurgeon, he said, I've been preaching, and what he meant was open air preaching, kind of out in the community doing evangelism. He said, I've been preaching for three months, and I don't think I've seen a single conversion in all those three months. And then here's what Charles Spurgeon wrote about that incident in his autobiography. He said, quote, meaning to catch him by guile and at the same time to teach him a lesson he would never forget, I asked him, do you expect the Lord to save souls every time you open your mouth? To which the student responded, oh no, sir, he replied. Then Spurgeon said, then that is just the reason you have not had conversions. According to faith, be it unto you. Can I be honest with you for a moment? I heard that story many, many years ago, and it's always bothered me. Is it okay to say that about Charles Spurgeon? <laughs> it always kind of bothered me, and I couldn't understand exactly what, it, I mean, what does he mean? Is this some kind of man-centered view of salvation and, and conversion that, that depending on our faith, we, we may or may not see conversions happen and God move and people get saved? Well, if, if you know Spurgeon's theology, you know he wasn't, man-centered in his theology. 
Maybe it's just one of those times where you just kind of have to take something that Charles Spurgeon says with a grain of salt. I mean, after all, everyone knows sometimes he says things that are a bit mystical. But I want to submit to you this morning that Spurgeon was right. I believe that Charles Spurgeon understood something about faith that we desperately need to recover in the church today, especially in evangelical churches like ours. Now here's the reality, we have all seen, probably, abuses of faith. We've seen abuses of faith in the prosperity gospel preachers, maybe, or word of faith theology, and we know that isn't right. And it's easy for us, from where we sit, to point to people who have abused the concept of faith. But for too long, what I have been guilty of for many years, and maybe what you have been guilty of as well, is not abusing faith, but neglecting it. For many of us, we have a place in our theology for justifying faith, faith in who Jesus is and what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And we have a place in our theology for faith in terms of doctrinal belief, like the faith once for all delivered to the saints, faith in God's word and what God has said in the scriptures. But what about Faith in God's presence and power and in what he can do now in our lives, in our ministries, in our churches, in our families, and through us around the world. When you look at the way the word faith is actually used in the New Testament, what you will find is that that is one of the most important aspects of faith emphasized in all of scripture. Faith in what God not just has done in the past, but faith not even in what God will one day do for us in the future, but faith in what God can do in and through and for his people in the present right now. And I believe that without faith, it's gonna be impossible to see the great harvest that God wants us to see as we are sent to go and make disciples of all nations. You remember Jesus saying, lift up your eyes and see for the fields are white unto harvest, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I believe that faith and belief that God is present with us and will work in power through us is indispensable if we're gonna see a great harvest that God, I believe, calls us to long for. So in Hebrews 11, I wanna point out to you Three keys that I see in this chapter, and especially in verse one, about faith that we must understand and recapture if we wanna see a faith play itself out biblically in our lives and in our ministries. In this verse, we're gonna see how faith is described, we're gonna see how faith is demonstrated, and we're gonna see how faith makes a difference. So let's jump in together. First of all, notice with me in verse one of Hebrews 11 that we see how faith is described. How does the author of Hebrews describe faith? This is one of the greatest verses in the Bible that simply gives a description or even you might call it a definition of what faith is. Notice again what it says in verse one. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There are two ways that faith is described here. Did you notice them? First of all, it says that faith is being assured of God's promises for me. Faith, according to this verse, the first part of it, is being assured of God's promises for me. Look at the first part of verse one again. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Things hoped for has an emphasis on, on future realities. Throughout chapter 11, as you go on and read in this chapter, uh, where it just lists all these 
these people who were such great examples of faith. I, in fact, I, I remember when I was uh, a student at Union University, I was coming to Memphis one, uh, one weekend and I was gonna go listen uh, to Dr. Rogers preach here. And I listened to one of his sermons on the way up and it was on Hebrews 11. He did a series back in the day called The Hall of Faith, like the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. And he talked about all these individuals that had such great faith. And as you look throughout chapter 11 at all these individuals of faith, the men and the women there, what you'll find is that many of them have an eternal perspective that is essential to their faith. They, they believe in future glory. They, they have their hopes set. And they are, according to verse one, assured of the hope that is, that they're hoping, for, the things that they're hoping for in the future. This is, for instance, what you see in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. Listen to what it says there. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's verse one, the assurance of things hoped for, that we have a new Jerusalem coming for us, a new heavens, and a new earth like we've just sung about this morning. This is the place that Jesus told his disciples that I'm going to go to prepare for you. And then that we see in Revelation 21, descending down from heaven like a bride for her bridegroom, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. This is what we hope for in the future. And, and part of what faith is, is being assured that that's really coming for us. And that's really important. That's a really essential part of faith, that we have the kind of eternal perspective on life that can only be had as we look to our ultimate reward coming for us because hope for the, for the future gives us endurance in the presence, doesn't it? That's a big part of faith. But there's another way faith is described in verse one that is also important. The first part of the verse tells us that faith is being assured of God's promises for me, but the second part of verse one tells us that faith is being convinced of God's presence with me. It's both. Faith is assurance of God's promises for me, the assurance of things hoped for, but faith is also, according to verse one, the convi being convinced of God's presence with me. Look again at what verse one says. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and then it says, the conviction of things not seen. Now that, I believe, includes two realities. Conviction of things not seen includes those things that aren't seen because they lie in the future, the things hoped for. Eternal life, the new creation where there's no pain or everything's made new. That's a, something that is unseen because we don't experience it yet. It's in the future. But some of the things unseen, when it says in verse one, the faith is being con convinced or convicted of the things unseen, some of the things unseen are not seen, not because they lie in the future, but because they're invisible in the present. There are some things that the author here has in mind when he says the faith is the conviction of things not seen that aren't seen because they're invisible to the eyes of flesh, but they are visible to our spirits. And we can believe it through the eyes of faith. 
The clearest example of this in Hebrews 11 itself is Moses. Look with me at what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 27. This should be on the screens, but if not, just look in your Bibles. Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. Notice what it says about Moses' faith in terms of being convinced of things that he cannot see. It says this, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, of Pharaoh, for he endured, notice, as seeing him who is invisible. You see that? Now, according to the definition of verse one, the faith includes, second, the second part of it, uh, being convinced of things not seen. I think this is what it's talking about when it says of Moses, again, that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. God was with Moses, wasn't he? And he revealed himself at the burning bush, but God was with Moses. And even when Moses couldn't see God, God was there. And Moses' faith involved not only longing for things that are hoped for in the future, but also being convinced that God was with him in the present. So he could march right up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Because God was with him. <laughs> and if God was with, is with you, it doesn't matter who you're standing in front of, Amen because he was convinced of things unseen. Namely, in this case, that God himself was present with him. It's the same thing that happened with David. Why was David able to face Goliath? Because David is able to say to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, and he will give you into our hands this day. I come to you being convinced through faith of things unseen. I don't see God with me, but you're about to see a demonstration of his power because he is with me and faith is being convinced of things unseen. Now I already mentioned Moses, but as you go back through Hebrews 11 again, you see several other examples of these people being highlighted for their faith, particularly not only of things that lie in the future, but also things in the present that are unseen. Notice, for example, in verse 11, it says this of Sarah. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Remember, she was barren. She received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Now, that's faith in God's presence and power now, right? Uh, Sarah was experiencing the presence and power of God at the present to, to, to allow her to conceive. That's a present thing, not a future thing. That's being convinced of things unseen. Uh, through verses 29 to 35, you see other examples like, for instance, by faith, the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. That wasn't a future thing, that was a now thing that happened in the moment. By faith, it says, the walls of Jericho fell down, and so on and so forth. And those aren't examples of future glory, those are examples of present power. Those are examples of how these believers saw God's presence and power at work in their lives in the present and their faith in things unseen. God's presence and power with them now was the key to it all. Brothers and sisters, the God who promises us glory in the future also promises his presence and power with us now. Jesus said, behold, I am with you, not just I will be with you in paradise one day, but I also am with you now, even to the end of the age. You might not see his presence and power with you now, but that doesn't mean it's not there. You've gotta see it through the eyes of faith. We walk by faith, 
and not by sight, believing that he's with us even when we don't see it. This is why it says in Acts 1.8, you will, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You might not see his power, but you will have power and you will have power now in this life before the end comes. So being convinced or convicted of things unseen, that's part of what faith is. Now, I think one of the greatest examples that, that displays this aspect of faith is a story that we read about in 2 Kings chapter six. This is a story where Elisha, who kind of followed after Elijah as a prophet, Elisha comes onto the scene, and in 2 Kings 6, Elisha has his servant with him, and the uh, Syrian army was trying to come against the Israelites, but Elisha kept telling the, the uh, Israelite king where the Syrian army was, and so they kept escaping them. And so finally, the Syrian king said, I've gotta find this prophet who keeps giving away where I am so they can't escape anymore, and so finally he finds where Elisha is living. He's in this little hut, and his servant's with him, and Elisha wakes up one morning, and the Syrian army has just surrounded this prophet and his servant in their little hut, right? That's like, talk about killing a fly with a sledgehammer, right? That's the whole Syrian army coming after one man and his servant. They're all there. And so he walks out unafraid, and then Elisha's servant walks out, takes a look at the army, and starts trembling in fear. And here's what Elisha says to him. He says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha's servant says, what are you talking about? There's two of us, and there are thousands of them, and they all have weapons. And then it says this, then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Faith in things unseen. God's presence and power now. Faith, yes, is hope for things to come and that gets us through, but, but what else gets us through is faith in God's presence and power now, the things unseen that God is with us. My prayer for myself for my church, for you and this church, is, oh Lord, please open our eyes that we may see that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's, that's the reality. And we will be able to see that with faith. That's what faith is, being able to believe that and see that through the eyes of faith. So faith is confidence in God's presence with me that leads to a confidence that God will act in power through me. Do you have that kind of faith? I'll be honest with you, there's times in my life when I feel like I am walking in that kind of faith, and then there are many other times in my life when I feel like I'm not, and I have to pray this prayer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> but I can tell you this, faith like that in, in future glory and also in God's presence and power with us and in us now is key if we wanna walk in the fullness of what God wants us to be and to do for him before he comes again. That's how faith is described. But notice the second truth with me about faith that we see in Hebrews 11, and that is how faith is demonstrated. So let's say that you have this kind of faith. Let's say that you do have faith in, in terms of a, an assurance of things hoped for in the future. Glory is coming for you. And, and, a, and a conviction in God's presence with you now, things unseen. What will that lead you to do? How, how will that kind of faith be demonstrated in and through your life? Well, here's what we see. When you look through Hebrews 11, what you find is that the people who had that faith were led 
to demonstrate that faith through bold action. Bold action, that's the key. If you really have the faith that God is with you, that God's presence and power are with you and working through you, then you will take bold action. Boldness and confidence that is rooted in faith. A boldness and confidence that is rooted in my assurance of future reward and a boldness and confidence that is rooted in my rock solid belief that God's presence and power are with me now. Consider with me again some of those examples of faith in Hebrews 11 and notice with me that it was by faith, this kind of faith, that they were able to take bold action. It says, for instance, of Noah, that by faith, Noah built an ark on dry ground. Bold move, Noah, right? Bold move. It was by faith. By faith, Abraham moved his family to a foreign land. Bold move by faith. By faith, Moses chose to identify himself with Israelite slaves rather than Egyptian royalty and say to the king of Egypt, let my people go. Bold move. By faith, Israel strolled through the Red Sea on dry ground. By faith, Israel marched around the walls of Jericho and shouted until they came crumbling down. Bold move. By faith, Gideon took on thousands upon thousands of the armies of the Midianites with just 300 guys. Bold move, Gideon. By faith, it says, Samson took on a thousand Philistines with nothing but a donkey's bone. Bold move. By faith, David took on a nine-foot giant with a slingshot. Bold move. By faith, Daniel continued to pray, knowing that it would get him thrown to the lions. Bold move. By faith, the three Jewish boys refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, knowing it would get them thrown into the furnace of fire. Bold move. And on and on you could go throughout countless examples in the Bible and continuing on through great heroes throughout church history. And what you find is that when you have genuine faith, yes, for future glory, but also that the presence and power of God are with you now, that kind of genuine faith is demonstrated through bold action. Bold action, bold moves for the kingdom of God. One example from, from modern history would be uh, one of my great heroes of the faith, William Carey. William Carey was a missionary in 1792. He organized a missionary society. And at its inaugural meeting, he preached a sermon in which his opening cry was this. He said, quote, expect great things from God and then attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, that's faith, and then step out and take bold action and then attempt great things for God. And within a year of preaching that sermon, William Carey, his wife and children, and his friend John Thomas were on a ship headed for India. Bold move, William Carey, father of the modern missionary, movements, expect, missionary movement. Expect great things from God. What is that? That's faith in God's presence and power with me now. Attempt great things for God. What is that? That's bold action that because I believe God is with me, I can do things that on my own I would never do or never be able to do. That's bold action. So let me just ask you this morning, what bold action are you taking for God that only makes sense through the eyes of faith in the unseen God? What bold action are you taking for God in your life, for his glory, for his kingdom, as you're serving him, as you're seeking to make disciples in your family, in this church, the ministries that you're involved in here, what bold action are you seeking to take for God that only makes sense through the eyes of faith in the unseen God, because you believe he's with you. 
Like, again, David would never have faced Goliath unless he really believed that God was with him. Moses would have never went to the throne of Pharaoh and said, let my people go, unless he really believed that God was with him. Abraham would have never left his homeland and Ur of the Chaldeans and headed to the unknown Canaanite place unless he knew that God was with him, being convinced of things unseen. So what bold action are you taking that is only explicable, only explainable, because you believe that God is with you. You have that kind of faith. I can tell you for me, when I look at the lostness in my city and God grants me the ability to look at that lostness of my city through the eyes of faith, then what I see is I see my city like Jesus saw cities, the author and perfecter of my faith. And I see fields that are white under harvest and I think to myself, we can reap this, let's go. Let's take bold action for Jesus. When I look at the brokenness in my city through the eyes of faith, I think to myself, God can heal this. Let's go. When I look at the sick older brother in my church who's dying of cancer and I look at him through the eyes of faith, I think to myself, God can heal him. Let's, James 5, gather the elders and anoint him with oil and pray for his healing that God may raise him up. Faith leads to bold action. And if we're not taking bold action, it's probably a sign that we're not walking in faith. So we've seen how faith is described. It's the assurance of God's promises for me and being convinced of God's presence with me. And we've seen how faith is demonstrated. It's demonstrated through bold action for God. But notice a third key to faith with me in this passage. And that is how faith makes a difference. How faith makes a difference. There are two ways that this kind of faith is said to make a real tangible difference in our lives and ministries in Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, notice with me that in this chapter, we learn that faith can cause us to experience power. Faith can cause us to experience power. That's one of the ways faith makes a difference. The refrain, again, throughout all of chapter 11 is, all these great things were able to be done by God through his people, how? By faith. And so over and over it says, by faith this was done, by faith this was done, by faith this was done. The presence and power of the unseen God was experienced in the life of believers in Hebrews chapter 11 by faith. By faith, it says, Sarah received power to conceive. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down and on and on it goes in every example in this chapter. Here's what it's teaching us. The deliverance that was made possible for those believers in Hebrews 11 was appropriated, how? By faith. That was the instrument that was used. The power of God that was available to his people in Hebrews 11 was laid hold of by faith. Let me say that again. The power of God that was experienced by these believers in Hebrews 11 was laid hold of how? It was laid hold of by faith. It's, I believe, what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. Have you ever read this passage and been a little bit perplexed? It says this, Jesus says this. It says, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, which simply stands for the impossible, whatever the impossible is, have faith, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, 
but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe, that's faith, that you have received it, and it will be yours. The power of God to do the impossible is appropriated by faith and expressed through bold action and prayer. That's what we see, right? The power of God to do the impossible is appropriated by faith. Pray in faith. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean when it comes to the way faith functions in our life? What does it mean that faith is the way that God's power is appropriated in the life of the believer? And how does that work out theologically in our minds and fit with other scriptures? Here's the way I think it works. In God's divine wisdom, God has determined that human faith would be one of the means that he uses to accomplish his will and work. In God's divine, God is sovereign and in his divine wisdom, he has set things up in his kingdom in such a way that human faith is one of the means that he has ordained to use to bring about his work and his will and to accomplish it on this earth. Human faith is one of the means that God uses to accomplish his work and his will on this earth. It's really similar to the way God uses other human means like evangelism and prayer, for instance. God has chosen to use the means of our evangelism to save people. Does that mean we save them? Absolutely not. God does, but God has chosen to use the means of our evangelism to save people when it comes to prayer. God has chosen to use the means of our prayers to carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. And just like evangelism and prayer, Faith is one of those things God has chosen to use as a means of accomplishing his work and will on earth as it is in heaven. Add that to the list of human means that God has chosen to use. Faith is one of them. Now, does this mean that every time we evangelize, people get saved? No. Does this mean that every time we pray, those prayers will be answered the way we hope? No. And does it mean that every time we have faith, God will act in a demonstration of power? No, but does it mean that the more we evangelize, the more people will be saved? Yes. Does it mean that the more prayers we pray, the more answers to prayers we'll see? Yes. And does it mean that where faith is exercised more, there are more demonstrations of power? I believe the answer to that is yes. God has chosen to use this as one of the human means that he has ordained to use to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So faith can cause us to experience power. That's one way that faith can make a difference, but it's not the only way. You see, just because faith can cause us to experience God's power in the form of deliverance and healing and salvation doesn't mean that that kind of experience of God's power is automatic every time we have faith. I mean, you can look in your own life and you can see examples of this where you did have faith and then what you had faith to see God do never happened the way you thought it would. Or you prayed in faith and it seemed like you were genuinely believing and yet you didn't see the answer that maybe you had hoped for. That's because there's a second way that faith plays itself out in our lives and makes a difference in our lives. You see, the, the error of believing that every time you have faith, God will automatically do whatever it is you're believing in, that's the error, error of the prosperity gospel preacher, the error of word of faith theology. If you're not delivered, you must have not had enough faith. If you're not healed, you must have not had enough faith. If your prayer didn't get answered, you must not have prayed with enough faith. But all you have to do to see that this is not true is look at Jesus himself. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when he was there? 
and he was praying. And what was he praying? He prayed, Father, all things are possible for you. That's a prayer of faith, isn't it? He believed all things are possible for his father. And then he said, remove this cup from me. That is, move this mountain. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Now at one level, Jesus did not see his request answered the way he prayed for it. Does that mean that Jesus didn't see his prayer answered because Jesus didn't have enough faith? I wouldn't say that if I were you. (laughs) Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. No, he had faith. No, here's what it means. Sometimes the will of the Father overrides the prayer of faith. Sometimes the will of the Father overrides the prayer of faith. It's not, it's not that God couldn't do what you're asking him to do. It's not that he won't. Maybe he will. Don't stop praying for great demonstrations of God's power. I promise you, the more you do, the more you will see demonstrations of God's power. Just as the more you evangelize, the more conversions you'll see. And the more you pray, the more answers to prayer you'll see. Don't stop taking bold action in faith, believing that God can do miraculous things and supernatural things. Don't stop doing that. God's still in the business of doing that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you will have times when though you are walking in the fullness of faith, yet you still don't see the demonstration of power come. And that's because sometimes the will of the Father overrides the prayer of faith and he has a different purpose in mind. And that leads to the second way that faith makes a difference. Yes, sometimes faith makes a difference by causing us to experience God's power through faith, but sometimes, other times, faith makes a difference not by causing us to experience God's power, but rather by helping us endure persecution and suffering. I mean, all you gotta do is keep reading Hebrews 11 and you see it. You have all these examples of faith and bold action and demonstrations of God's power because they're convinced of things unseen, his presence with them. And yet, when you get to Hebrews 11, verse 35, there is a shift that occurs here. And notice what it says, Hebrews 11, 35. It says, women received back their dead by resurrection. I mean, all these great things are happening. And then it says this, and some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And it says in this passage again, all of this too, the endurance of suffering and the endurance of persecution, all of this too was done, quote, through or by faith. I have to believe that some of these saints that says were tortured and suffered, that they must have prayed similar prayers to the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane when he said, God, Father, all things are possible for you. Don't you know that some of those Christians in Hebrews 11 that suffered and were tortured and were persecuted and many Christians all throughout church history have prayed similar prayers in their hour of affliction. God, Father, all things are possible for you. Let this cup pass from me. Deliver me from this moment of suffering. I believe in your power and your presence and things unseen. Deliver me, God, in an act of power. And yet, God didn't. And it wasn't because they lacked faith. It was because in that moment, the will of the Father overrode the prayer of faith because he had a different purpose in mind and in that moment, faith was still functioning. 
It might not have been functioning to have a demonstration of power like they had hoped for deliverance and salvation, but instead it was functioning to do its second uh, purpose, which is to help us to endure suffering and hardship and persecution. Both of those are by faith. Either way, whether faith leads to a display of God's power or whether faith leads to an endurance through persecution and affliction, either way, it's faith that makes the difference. Faith is the difference maker. Faith is so important in the Christian life. I wanna, give you, I wanna close by giving you just two little descriptions that you find in the book of Acts. The Acts is full of Jesus' disciples going out and taking bold action to do mission by faith. In Acts chapter six, verse five, here's how it describes Stephen, one of the first deacons. It says that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And he was stoned to death, the first Christian martyr. Of Barnabas, in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, it says that Barnabas was, quote, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Brothers and sisters, I, I want that to be true of me. You know, oftentimes we pray for the filling of the Spirit. I wanna ask you to add that second part that you see in those two verses to your prayer. God, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit and would you fill me with faith? I wanna walk in faith, God. I wanna walk in faith knowing and being assured of things that I am hoping for in the future. New heavens, new earth, paradise. And God, I also wanna walk in faith being convinced of things unseen, your presence, your power with me now so that I can step out and take bold action for you knowing that you have chosen to use the means of my faith. Though it may be as small as a grain of mustard seed, you have chosen to use the means of my faith to accomplish your will and your work on earth as it is in heaven. May God give us that kind of faith, church, so that we can see mountains moved for his glory. The more we have faith, the more we pray in faith, the more we will see demonstrations of God's power and the less we do, the less we will see. That's what we need. Faith is the key. So maybe Charles Spurgeon was right after all. Maybe when it comes to living the Christian life, it's not just important that we be faithful. That is important. But maybe it's also important that we be full of faith. According to your faith, be it done to you.